Hey guys, welcome to the Sip It and Rip It podcast. I'm Zach. He's Nathan. You can find us at Sip It and Rip It on Instagram or at Nathan Skedios. I am still temporarily off of social media. Um, if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, make sure you smash that five stars rating so that other people will listen to us too. Um, because you know, there's only a dozen of you or so that actually do listen. <laughs> I, need, I need to pull up stats one day and be like, hey, this is exactly how many people listen. So, exactly, no it, one. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not exactly no one. Yeah, I listen. We get to play a piece from ourselves. So, there's eight people that listen to the podcast worldwide. <laughs> so, just uh, just a little side topic here. You had a birthday yesterday, I had a birthday yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, 34. We celebrated it yesterday. We, yeah, it was actually my birthday yesterday. Oh, it was? Okay. And uh, yeah, we celebrated it. We had a good time. Um, relatively tame for our group of people, um, which is... Not not for me. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Probably pretty wild <laughs> I, for I you. wouldn't say wild, but I mean, I don't do anything. So. You know, uh, that's a good spot in Gunnersville, though. I, and I, you know, I've always traditionally gone to Huntsville or Birmingham for mm-hmm. something like that. And uh, Gunnersville's just a really solid fucking town. It's pretty. Um it was a good time. Didn't do everything we wanted to do because we waited three hours on the restaurant. Right. Um, but uh, not the, to their own fault. They were just really no. Busy. Yeah, they were just really busy, and it was good when we got in there. Yeah. I felt like it was fine. You know, we had good service and everything was good, was good except the bathroom. <laughs> the bathroom, like I said, could have used a gallon of bleach and a hose. But I mean, you can tell it was a really nice bathroom. But you could tell the bathroom told the story of exactly how busy they were. Right. Because like when we got there. Justin and Shannon said there were there were two hundred people in front of us. Oh God! And it was a th- at that time was a three and three or three and a half hour wait. When I actually put her name on the list, it was a two and a half hour wait, mm-hmm. and that gave us plenty of time to get real good and drunk before we got to <laughs> dinner. Um, and then I'm in a nice establishment shooting spitballs at uh, one of my best friends. So yeah, <laughs> that did happen. That happened times. absolutely. I didn't I, I didn't drink to the point that I couldn't remember anything. Yeah. So. But I could tell when we were in the brewery that uh, I was getting pretty plot. You were, you get, I was you on see, my way, buddy. You were, you were a few more drinks out. You were a few more drinks out. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely, I definitely could have had a few more. Um, but I think I, I think I had about six snake handlers at the at the brewery, and then uh, one of Madison's drink because she actually ordered two. But the whole time mm. we we were planned on splitting them both. Yeah. So we. Uh, we had a drink a piece of those. She was she was my battle buddy. She was sitting next to me. So uh, I was we pretty boring together. and just got a whiskey and coke. But I saw that coconut drive me coconuts. Was it? Yeah, good? that's what we had. So it was basically was it yeah, basically a pina colada? It was, yeah, or a blue Hawaiian. But okay. it, but it had it was prepared a little bit more like a pina colada mm-hmm. because it was like you know actual coconut cream and stuff, mm-hmm. not just coconut rum. But you know, same it was pineapple coconut, yeah. same shit. You know what I mean? It's in all those drinks. So it was good. Yeah, it was solid. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I am 100% unapologetic about my love for girly drinks. <laughs> now, I drink plenty of whiskey to make up for right. the fact that, uh, that I like my girly drink from time to time. And uh, that's just it. And we may have turned Justin and Shanton on to uh, the Shanky's Whip. Oh, did they get some? I don't know if they got some or not. But I know I mean, they, they look, look. They look pretty fucking intrigued by it, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have, I'm going to have to get some more of that soon. Uh, well, we need more old fashions made out of... You know, you know what we need to do is on, I need to get some for meat day, for your meat day. I wouldn't tell you no. So it'd be good deadlift whiskey. It'd be good deadlift whiskey. Yeah, it'd be real easy to shoot. <laughs> it would be real easy to get down. Yeah, if you if you show up Saturday morning with that, we'll be we're gonna have a good day anyway. But, right, uh, it'll just be a little uh, better. We got so much going on now that uh, 
I'll be honest with you, in a really weird way, Saturday's kind of at the back of my mind, to be honest yeah. with you. I mean, it's uh, it just is what it is, and we'll elaborate more on that later. But yeah. uh, <clears throat> but we got some, we've been talking a lot about alcohol, but not what we're drinking today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm rolling with Trim Tab again. I like my Birmingham beers. Uh, it's Imperial Paradise now. Uh, Paradise now, the regular Paradise now is one of my all time favorite beers. Uh, the Imperial is just a you know a little bit stronger, same basic basic flavor palette though. Um, I like it. It's a good one. So and I've got Bourbon Barrel Drafty Kilt. Yeah, that's uh, Monday Night Brewing. They're out of Atlanta, but they have a tap house in Birmingham, so they're local-ish. Semi-local. Yeah. But it's it's pretty, I mean, for a beer, because I'm not a big beer drinker, it's pretty solid. It's, I mean, It's, it's got boozy, a, right? Yeah, it, it tastes more like a, it kind of tastes like a coffee bourbon almost, if yeah, that makes sense. that makes sense. Like it, the back end definitely has more you coffee did, flavor. You and Desi didn't go to Queens of the Beach with us, did you? No. Uh, so we, we hit up a uh, brunch spot that had... Um, and I don't remember. I think it may have been Makers, but they had a hot coffee drink that was that was brown sugar, black coffee, and Makers, and that's actually like what it tastes like. That's pretty much what it tastes like. Yeah. yeah. Now it was served hot, like a real, right, yeah, like a real cup of coffee. But yeah, that's pretty much what that tastes like. It's fucking that's good. good. Yeah. Um, it was um, a shock to me to go from this one to that one. <laughs> yeah. Cause so because like, it was thinner. yeah, it's a lot thinner. It's not near as carbonated mm -hmm. as that one, and then that one's like way boozy compared yeah. to this one. It's definitely. I didn't see the ABV on it, but it it feels like a really heavy beer. Mm. You know, oh, eight and a half. Yeah, so I mean, it's, that's pretty. That's pretty. That's a pretty up there for a beer. Yeah, I mean, they don't normally go over you know twelve or thirteen. Yeah. So, and that's rare. So, it's what it is. But yeah, I like these. They're yeah, good. Not Solid. bad at all. Yep. So, uh, Jim, you were you were at the end of your prep. You're officially finished prep yesterday. Yep. So. I had uh, second class warm up on squat yesterday for two singles. Uh, they move like shit, but I, th I think anybody that's gone through this process knows that everything moves like shit at this point. Yep. Uh, bench press also felt like shit, moved like I could have thrown it through the ceiling. Mm -hmm. um, didn't really have a problem with power. Uh, definitely got a right pec strain started, um, but I think it's going to hold up through Saturday, especially given I, I bet I, I bet I don't place press more than two plates this week. Yeah, I so um, going to be probably commands and some some light work. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I know that he's going to do some things to keep my fitness up, but, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I bet I don't squat more than three, probably don't pull more than three, probably don't press more than two, if yeah. I had to guess. I'd be very, very surprised if I if I touch four plates on something, it'll probably be deadlift, but I'd be yeah. very, very surprised by that. Yeah, so. that, from what I have seen of his programming, I, I don't think he will program you that high on a deadlift, especially the week of, but, I mean. Yeah, I mean, say. you know. I wouldn't think they would. He would either, but you know, you never can tell. I mean, I'm not. I think I could survive a, you know, 400 to 450 pound pull. I don't think it's going to ruin Saturday for me. No, but. I don't think it'd ruin it for you. It'd just be a little odd. I think it probably would be. But like I said, I guarantee you, I have something to keep my fitness up this week. Yeah, so. for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, strangely enough, not too worried about Saturday. Um, my those opinions will change when I get there. Yeah, yeah for when sure. it's when it's an immediate problem. But right now, for me, it's not an immediate problem. <laughs> that's Saturday. Um, yeah, that's Saturday's issue. So <laughs> we'll worry about it Saturday. Yeah. But I mean, I think I'm going to meet my goal. If I'm being perfectly yeah, honest, um, so. uh, definitely had uh, had a lot of firsts this week. Um, uh, new PRs and bench press. Um, never was programmed in a, ch a chance to PR my deadlift, so mm -hmm. don't know where it's at. But new PRs and squatting. And uh, bench press, and both of those things put me on track for my fifteen. So, yeah. and I think it'll. I think you'll smoke fifteen. If I'm being honest, I think. It, uh, I, I really. Think, I, think I, it's, I, I think it's in the cards anyway. I, I think. 
I think he's going to send you out for a nine for nine day and you're going to break 15. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be, it's going to take, I, I honestly think, looking like because of my bench press deficiency, it's going to take 615 plus. But, because, uh, you know, my one rep, my one rep was 380, it ended up being 385. Um, but it was fast. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I didn't go to the end of my cap is because that's when this pec strain, strain yeah. kind of started. And I was just kind of. I guess that's you know you, you set a fifteen pound PR in the gym then everything after that you're playing with house money so like you might as well just like cash out and walk yeah like it's the smartest thing to do yeah. so and that's For what sure. I did so here's what it is for me uh, I didn't really get any PRs but uh, my squat I did three ninety five for eight I'm following my progression plan it's going really well uh, I feel absolutely terrified every single time i go up to any of my top sets but i've just dominated every single top set i've, I've yeah started. you have um so i did 395 for eight on squat 295 for eight on bench and 505 for eight on deadlifts all of them were super yeah that uh, 395 on squat that's as good as i've ever seen you handle volume yeah it was it was good except for and and we talked about this already uh, but not on the podcast uh this there's some uh, shaking, some uh, imbalance coming and down. We think that we've discovered it could be a glute issue mm-hmm. leading to some hip instability, but um, definitely, we... definitely on my left side because every time I did single leg movements, it was my left side that was weaker and shaky. Yeah. So we've isolated it to at the very least on my left side, and it probably is somewhere in the glutes or the hip. Yeah, I'll say this too. Just touch on it, just for a little bit of advice for everybody, because this is this is pertinent to a deadlift podcast. Uh, even though he's talking about squats, um, anytime you f- you're feeling some like instability, like if you're seeing knee valgus in your squat, you can see knee valgus in your deadlift too. But if you're seeing like inside knee cave, that's what knee valgus mm-hmm. is in your squat. Um, if you're having issues at lockout, or if you're having lower back pain, which is the way that Nathan's manifested. Um, it's very, very wise, and I learned this from a physical therapist, it's very, very wise to consider addressing uh, a glute weakness as the culprit. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because, like, that muscle, first of all, it's, an, it's the nearest, largest muscle group to your lower back. So your lower back tends to overcompensate if that's weak. Um, and then also that glute med is responsible for the stability of your hips and the tracking of your knee. Like, And if you want to test this, I sent Nathan a video of this, just stand up. Take a picture of your knees with your butt not clenched, and then take a picture of your knees with your butt clenched. And with your butt clenched, your knees will actually force out naturally. Mm-hmm. So, like, it kind of give you a visual representation of what we're talking about. But, yeah, train uh, train your glutes because that glute means important to hip and knee stability and lack of lower back pain, as yeah. it turns out. So, And just power on your lockout on both your squatting. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about that. We know when we squatted, you know, the glute mm-hmm. power is important to that lockout. So. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that was kind of interesting that I did was uh, a 235 for 10 close grip incline press, which is I've really enjoyed that that movement just because it's extremely humbling and challenging. And I post about it on Instagram, but there's just something about it like it's just super challenging on my triceps. And I'm I know that's where my weakest point is yeah. on my, my bench because I'm always weakest at my lockout. So it's it's been really beneficial, and I've just I've just dominated all of my regular bench since. So it's probably going to be a staple in my programming moving forward. Yeah, I can't lie to you. Incline any type of incline variation, man. I feel like it's so important for a powerlifter. But also, you know, think about the situation I'm in right now with my elbows. Um, 
man, it's such a good way to get quality press work in and it not be super taxing on mm -hmm. your CNS. Yep. I mean, you unrack 350 plus, 350 plus, 350 plus, whether you're doing it on bench or incline or whatever. But, you know, the fact that you can get it on, you know, you can get on incline and get to take 100 pounds off the bar and get the same, a comparable amount of work and hypertrophy mm -hmm. out of it. Like, man, that's a fucking saver. And then uh, get better all the while still, yeah. man. It's kind of it, kind of a sweet fucking movement, honestly, yeah. as a power lifter. It's, it's so, a <clears throat> quality deal. It is, yeah. I mean, there's so much reward and so little risk compared to even... Mm -hmm. Flat pressing. So that, that's why bodybuilders go that route. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Least path of resistance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, enough about bodybuilding. PR songs. PR songs. What you got? Um, yeah, so um, shout out to uh, one of my best friends, Casey. Um, she's a huge uh, Third Eye Blind fan. And I know this is, sounds weird. Um, it's a Third Eye Blind song. Blind, it's a Third Eye Blind song, but I'm not going to put theirs on the playlist. But uh, he is legend is a big always been a really really important band to me they uh cover a third eye blind song called wounded um okay. uh so that's my first entry it's fucking awesome uh it's not my typical gym music but uh i'm putting that on there for her so yeah. wounded yeah that's a really fucking good one what's your first one uh and this is one that i've really gotten into it's a definitely not something typical that i listen to um but we actually talked about them on the past book, podcast before polyphia um bloodbath is i don't know what it is about that song like the beginning of it is so mild and it's not it's it's a little upbeat but it's very it's very chill and then it gets to a part in the end where the breakdown hits and the solo hits and it's just freaking awesome and it just gets me pumped and i i can just listen to the whole song i listen to it on repeat in the gym one day like 10 20 minutes i was just like god i cannot get yeah it's a big enough. deal if y'all didn't know this it's a big deal for a metalhead to listen to anything on repeat yeah like we're generally like uh what's the like, next thing yeah what's the next thing what's the next i'm ready for something new i'm ready for something new all the time like because i mean that's that that's the like truly a musician's genre so like mm -hmm. we're always like looking for the next thing so if like we're ever caught in something where we're just listening to something over and over again like Probably a pretty fucking good song, yeah. <laughs> or just, it makes us feel some type of way. Right. At least, you know what yeah. I mean? So, um, just just to uh, expand on that just a little bit, uh, I, I specifically remember uh, riding in the in the car with my cousin Wes, who we've talked about on the podcast before. He just like he he is obviously you know a very talented musician, yeah. but he would listen to about a minute and a half of a song, and he'd be like, all right, and he'd change it. And like he'd he'd already heard the whole album. Oh, we have ADHD back. Yeah, you know I mean? it's just right. like I heard I heard the chorus and the. We're I'm looking for this riff in yep. this song, and I'm uh, riding around in the car. I'm not like that, but in the gym, I'm like I want this riff right now mm -hmm. for this moment, and then after that, fuck the song. We can yep. try something else. But. No, that's that's <laughs> only fair though, because yeah. it's it's like like the Polyphia song. The very end of it is what really gets. Me. I love the whole song. Like, even though it's super chill and mild, and yeah. I, I love listening to it in the gym, which is super weird. But the end of it is where I'm really like, this is this yeah. is where it's at. Yeah, I understand that. What's your second? Uh, my second is a new one, and I'm going to get some shit for this one because they are a little new metally, um, a little rap inspired. Um, but it's a new album, new EP by King810 that just came out. Uh, there's a song on it called Isabel, and it just fucking rips dude i mean uh i don't know what it is about them um it's a texture thing it just sounds it feels new listening to it does that make sense mm -hmm. like 
it feels like sounds and textures I haven't heard. It's familiar in a way, but it feels I, if, I get if it's presented mean, yeah. in a new and fresh way, and I really like it. So, like, you know, if you think about, like, you know, maybe the Deftones or maybe some better old Limp Biscuit stuff or uh, something like that, it's kind of in that vein, but musically it's a lot better. You know, obviously because we're, you know, 20 years out, 20 years removed from that shit, production is much, much better. But it just has a darkness about it and just a texture that it just, mm-hmm. like, is just different. And I've, I've felt that way about a little bit of their music before. They never have anything where I'm just, like, crazy about the album end to end. But, mm-hmm. man, every now and then they come out with a song that just fucking kills. And that one kills. Isabel by King810. Yep. Word. Yep. Super good. My second is going to be uh, Erebus by Aversion's Crown. Um, they are it's your just, second entry of Aversion's Crown, isn't it? Is it? I think it might be. I don't remember. We'll have to go back and look at them. I'll have to look. I, I don't think it's this song, though. We haven't, we haven't discussed this song. If, if it is, I'm going to feel real dumb. But uh, We haven't discussed this song. Are you sure? I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm second guessing myself. It, if, if <laughs> it, it doesn't gets, matter. If it gets another entry, uh, it gets another entry. Whatever. <laughs> Big deal. Yep. Yeah. I'll just be on the playlist twice. Just. Shoot me about it. I don't know. But I, that song's really dope. I was listening to it in the gym recently. And uh, it's just like, there's something about that, that deathcore, like the new Lorna Shore stuff that it's got the symphonic side of it. And it's got the heavy deathcore side of it. That it just, that's probably my favorite type of music. And I can just listen to anything like that. And that's fair. That's, that's one of those, one of those songs that really hits on both sides and, you know, I've talk, talked about before about how, like, as I'm as I'm older, as I've gotten older, I'm a bigger and bigger fan of hardcore in particular. Like, mm-hmm. um, but I'm still metalhead enough that, like, we're talking about that riff that you want to listen yeah. to, like, when you go into the gym. The riff I want to hear in a song is still never a breakdown. Oh yeah, it's always you know an intro riff or you know something different, maybe coming out coming out of the breakdown or something. But like, it ain't never. That moment yeah, that, like, the, the kids like. You know what I mean? It, it ain't depends. never that moment. <laughs> For me, it depends. There are some breakdowns, and maybe it's just, like, nostalgia from my childhood that I'm just like, this is, like, yeah, I, I love this. Laid to rest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean that's the, one of the easiest ones, too. Yeah, but like, it really yeah, is. But like, there, there's those moments. I get it. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I think a lot of that, for me, is nostalgia. But there are still, there's not, I feel like, at least in the music I listen to, there's not quite as many actual breakdowns. Like, yeah, like it. Well, in the in the way we kind of thought of him as a kid, I guess yeah. you know what I mean. But um, chug chug, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it's like, but yeah, for real. That's still not what I'm. Um, that's not the the moment in a song that I'm looking yeah. for. That's not what necessarily pops me up anymore. So for me, it's like it'll either be like a lot of emotion around surrounding a, a moment in the song, or it'll be like lyrically, there's something powerful or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So I'm, uh, there's a couple of bands. Like most of the time, it's a riff. Like with a band that I've mentioned before a lot and will continue to like with the Acacia Strain, mm-hmm. it's like there's a specific lyric, a specific mm-hmm. moment um, probably built around that lyric that I'm looking right. for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is what it is. I'm not still not, you know, obsessed with lyrics and stuff, but there's just some some bands that transcends that transcend that yeah. for me. So uh, just is what it is. All right. So that uh, that brings us to our main order of business today uh we've done two of these already uh but we're moving on to deadlifts now we're going to teach you how to deadlift yep we're going to teach you how we're going to speak from 
and I do have, you know, I, I coach sumo pullers, so I have, you know, advice to give sumo pullers too. But I think for just for the ease of it, it's easier for us to come from what we know, and it's, mm. you know, conventional deadlift. So, yep. and um, the, the starting point is actually the polar opposites, um, which is going to be your feet placement. So, yeah. with a conventional pole, you're typically closer, depending on how how close you want your center of gravity. You might be really close, or you might be a little, a little further out. You might be. Uh, like a strong man style where you're like kind of almost sumo, but you're, you know, if you're a strong man, you're probably so big. You're still out, out, hands are still outside your legs. Yeah, hands but are still outside, wider but, stance. but a wider stance than a, a smaller conventional polar. And then you got the sumo stance, which is going to be, depending on how egregious you want it to be, uh, could be all the way as far as like maybe an inch from the plates it could be a little a little further in than that it just depends on probably what's comfortable for you and how long your limbs are sure uh your mobility um yeah but for me when i set up i try to get my shins about so about right where the knurling starts mine are inside the knurl but i agree yeah i'm basically using the knurl as a box yeah treating it like a box if that makes sense yeah mine mine typically are either inside or right right there where it starts um and then i i uh want to keep myself you know a little it's typically what they want you to do is the bar midfoot like bar sure. over midfoot yeah. i get a little closer than that i get to about where it's directly over like my shin's still not quite touching it but it's pretty close to my shin yeah i, I can't really quite yeah i understand I, yeah. i'm a proponent of if you're and this is not me unfortunately i'll tell you the changes that ron has made in me in this in a second i'm a pretty big proponent of if you have the back mobility if you have good posture i want shins against the bar yeah um there are reasons now i realize that you know, to not do that. Mm -hmm. um, Midfoot's been talked about and stuff, but I, I typically like a pretty compact um, setup out of all my conventional pullers yeah. for the most part. Um, I'll say this, and I don't mean to backtrack, um, but one thing I do, I, actually with a brand new person, I don't teach on a bar at all. Um, the first thing we do is perfect a good morning. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason being is because we're, we're probably going to get a, especially for a conventional puller, Probably going to get a better idea where their stance like naturally kind of wants to be. Because, you know, if you're performing a good morning versus a squat, you're probably a little narrower and you're probably are towed forward slightly mm -hmm. more. Um, if we can perfect a good morning, it's a matter of walking up to the bar, performing your good morning, setting your, setting your grip, dropping your hips and pulling. Right. So, I mean, like, so I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of, Perfection in the good morning before I move somebody to a barbell. That's totally fair. Um, getting your but for the right. same, for the same, th for the same reasons, we're yeah. you basically are still practicing foot placement, but mm -hmm. practicing things like that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we're in your agreement about stance. Um, uh, not really a whole lot we would change here. I'll tell you this: for sumo pullers, what I what I like to see as a coach is I would like to see um, a pretty as a sumo puller. Uh, for a sumo puller, I would like to see a pretty vertical chest. Mm -hmm. I think more like high bar squat. Yeah. Like I want a more upright position, uh, and I want more squat than good morning. Yeah. Um, and I want your feet wide enough to be sumo, but I want it narrow enough that we we talk about this. We build a house with our legs. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, you remember drawing a house, like a five point house, as a child. We want the floor to be the bottom line, mm -hmm. up a shin one, up to your crotch the next. From your crotch to your knee, 
and then down your shin, mm -hmm. we want that to be around about that shape, if that makes yeah. sense. So that's a good visual cue if you're practicing in a mirror, something like that. Um, and then, uh, well, also, uh, we'll occasionally, depending on the person, we'll te teach it from a seated position. So I'll actually have them sit down in a chair and find a, you know, a stance that they like actually set up for the deadlift basically with their butt just touching the chair mm -hmm. and uh and that tends to be a little bit more natural and it also teaches that upright position a little bit yeah. more um but yeah i mean that's it for me on both of them yeah so. just just to touch on that a little more if you watch any of the best sumo pullers like very vertical very vertical it's like dan grigsby and uh yuri belkin yuri belkin jamal brown are these guys super upright torso and it's more like a leg press like you said than, yeah. than like a, a good morning yeah absolutely so keep that in mind if you if you watch back your your pulls if you're a sumo puller and you're you're not quite as vertical that would be a working point because yeah, the more vertical your chest can be the better position you're going to get into I, I tell you ironically something that limits sumo pullers from getting in that more vertical position is what else do those guys have in common for sumo pullers they have a relatively narrow stance for sumo. That's fair. And I'll tell you why is because like feet being too wide limits your hip mobility. You're not going to be able to sit down as much yeah. as they can. So there's definitely a point, even if you're a sumo puller, there's a definite point of diminishing returns um, when it comes to stance, stance width. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, best sumo pullers in the game, man or woman, have relatively tight stances compared to their counterparts pulling sumo. Right. Yeah. So that, that's pretty much it on the feet, uh, at least for now. So next thing you do typically is you'll grab the bar. So where are you going to put your hands? So conventional pullers, obviously, they're outside of their feet. Yeah, well, just outside your shoulders. Uh, I'll be honest with you, that's another thing I believe in a compact grip on. Uh, I don't have, a, have anything here to demonstrate, but the wider your grip is, as a tall person especially, the wider your grip is, the further you got to pull it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I literally, even as big as I am, and I'm much bigger than Nathan, um, like 50 or 60 pounds bigger than Nathan, I am pretty much, well, it might, I may be mixed, so it may be my pinky, but I'm pretty much index finger on the end of the neural mm -hmm. on both sides. Yeah. Um, and then, but mostly I coach thumb width away from the neural because most of the time somebody's going to want a little bit. Probably a little less narrow grip. Yeah, but yeah, and I'm um, I'm about the same on my grip. It's pretty close. I try to keep it as close to my feet as possible without uh, without coming in. Obviously. Yeah, you know, your sumo pullers keep uh, your grip wide enough that you get to take advantage of some of the neural. Mm -hmm. um, you get too narrow, you're pulling the slick part of the bar, and that's that's not optimal. You're it's probably not optimal. Bar. Yeah, I mean, it's probably easy. it does make the pull easier, but you're you know it doesn't do you any good if you can't lock it out and you can't keep it in your hands. So yeah. you know. I guess the only, I guess if you're using straps, you probably don't even notice. Um, probably don't, but. But that's not legal in Yeah, in bare, barehanded so. is a big deal. So, you know, um, you got to be able to pull it barehanded. That's a sport. So. Yeah. Now, if you're just, out. if you're just sumo pulling for fun or for, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, reason. you know, I'll be honest with you. I mean, one of the mechanical advantages is, is, is the narrower grip. Yeah. So, um, and I've seen people pull plenty of ways and you just do what you're comfortable with, but. Um, I, I def I never want to lose a grip. I never want to lose a deadlift because of my grip. If I lose a deadlift because of my grip, I'm probably going to go home and consider eating a shotgun. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, Even if it tears your hands up. Um, Even well, in competition, I don't care if it tears my hands up or not. We're, no, I mean like you know, if you if you fail it, but because it, it rips the skin off your hand. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm gonna stay with it as long as I can. Yeah. I mean, I've, my hands ripped before. Yeah, I know what it feels like. I mean, it is what it is. But uh, 
you know, I, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel good about myself letting it go at that. I mean, I train without straps exclusively. Mm-hmm. I train without chalk pretty much exclusively. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm some kind of hard ass because I do these things, but like, I'll tell you my grip, it typically isn't what fails. Right. Right? You know, you know yeah. what I mean? So, I mean, it just, it just kind of is what it is. Um, next thing after outside of her feet, man, uh, we're talking about bending over and getting the bar. Um, is that where you're at on this? We're talking about grip widths and everything. Yeah. We got the bar. Yeah. Um, so I actually like the people, and this is, I have to credit Ron for this because this is something I started myself, but what I like to see is I want a good, good morning position. So basically you're at the bottom of your good morning, you're setting your grip. And then before you set down into a partial squat, that is where you pull slack out and then set down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has changed my deadlift drastically right um you're gonna be able to tell more on a deadlift bar than you do on a power bar um so you know you should should know that but just practicing that motion and just having so much tension you know i'm to the point now that you know when ron first started teaching me this i could float about 225 in my certain position now i can float 405 in my certain position so i'm pulling so much slack that it's good for 400 pounds so i mean i think that's a lot of free energy so like i said i want to i want you to get in your good morning position set your grip Pull slack and then set down mm-hmm. is the order I want you to do things now. Yeah. So, what's next? Uh, let's see. Next, so you're you've got your slack pulled. Really, you're probably in a good position. Um, maybe I guess in that order it might be incorrect. But my next thing was you know big breath and brace. So yeah, and that depends on the person. Right. Yeah. Some people don't want to breathe until they're all the way like at the bottom. Some people want to start maybe even before they touch the bar. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit of a grip it and rip it puller, so I'll take my last big breath before I even touch the bar. For me, I'll I'll get the bar, I'll get into my position, and then I'll take a big breath and brace and then I'll pull the slack out and then stand up with it. I just don't feel and like I said this is very individual. I don't feel like I brace well at the bottom of a deadlift. So if I can get braced and my breath set before I ever put my hands on the bar, it's good. But I mean, you've seen me pull, me and Austin pull very similarly. Uh, if it's going to go, it's going to go violently. Like right. we, we pull with a lot of speed. Um, we do everything we're supposed to Slack pull happens, all that stuff happens. But like, we just, you know, we typically are pretty fast and violent yeah. pullers though. So. And that, I mean, once you get proficient at it, like yeah. you, you can't afford to do that. Right. When you're first learning or you're, you know, intermediate or whatever, and you haven't been deadlifting for very long, you just, you just can't rush the steps. I know when I would rush the steps, my, my deadlifts would always look worse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you shouldn't be rushing any of this. Right. Ever. And uh, I can tell you, it took me slowing the movement down to get the slack pull and everything mm-hmm. down, you know, to make sure it's, and even now, like if he has me multiple reps in a set, and I, of course I haven't done that in weeks because I'm in prep right. you know i've been pulling singles but when i was pulling multiple reps like i would literally pull one step away from the bar walk up mm-hmm. to it do my whole setup again pull another one so it's basically like instead of being a set it was really like a cluster right like so if he had me doing a set of three it was like one about five seconds break to reset one five seconds one five seconds so it's not like i'm taking a breath really or taking mm-hmm. rest but um, you know, I was very, tried to be very methodical about learning to get that skill yeah. down. And I'm still not that great about resetting at the top of the deadlift, mm-hmm. um, back in that position. I still kind of have to walk away and get back in position for yeah. it. So take your time. Yeah. You're yeah. right about that for sure. Mm-hmm. Big thing about that is though, it's a one rep sport. So the more you practice 
single reps, the better you get at yeah, single absolutely. reps. I don't, I don't really feel bad about that because, I mean, like, we don't have a touch-and-go sport, like mm-hmm. I said. Um, it's always easier. On the, the second rep's always easier than the first on deadlift. It's one yep. of those weird ones. Um, but if you're always pulling from a dead stop, then, you know, you're always training the first pull. And that's mm-hmm. what, we, you know, that is the sport. So yep. uh, and that's one of the biggest things that Ron's changed in me, to be honest with you. I don't mm-hmm. pull anything touch-and-go ever anymore. Um, although I will say this is not arguing with him so much as I think there's a lot of hypertrophic value in staying on the bar, um, especially in lighter, you know, mm-hmm. lighter weight ranges. Yeah. Um, but uh, especially if you're grip strength. But, uh, you know, for the sport as a whole, when you get down past about five reps, you should absolutely be resetting every rep. And I will say this. I saw something. Uh, I think Juggernaut posted. It was a Chad Wesley Smith video. And he said that um, there's a time and place for both. Right. So if you are like really weak at your lockout, if that's where you're going to fail your lift, there's nothing wrong with touch and go because you're going to be able to pull heavier weights at the top. And because you're not going to be spending so much energy at the bottom at a dead stop. Right. So you'll get more practice with your lockout. You'll be able to have more load on your lockout. Whereas opposed to if you are bad at the bottom, you should be resetting every single time because you want to get more practice. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like everything we've also talked about. There's a time and a place for literally pretty much anything Mm -hmm. you can do. I mean, I'm I'm coaching a football player right now. Um, One of the things I taught him the other day was bench press. Mm. For the sake of carryover to his sport, his bench press just is going to look a lot different than ours. Right. There's no reason really for him. There is some reason, uh, hypertrophic reasons and power reasons for him to pause a bench press, but he doesn't really have to do everything to full competition rules. Mm-hmm. We really want to be able to move. We want to be able to move a lot of a lot of weight safely and quickly. Right. Um, so I mean, it depends on the goals. Um, and then, like I said, there's a time and place for everything. And hell, you might decide. And we, me and you've talked about this before. You might decide that you want to move over to jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Well, like. All of a sudden, when you start moving to a contact sport, then fast becomes a priority. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, powerlifting standards all the time. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah, and if I, if I were to do some sort of combat sport, I don't think my I don't think I would focus as heavily on powerlifting as I do um, because if I if I did, uh, I've heard because the fatigue Mark, is unbelievable. That too, um, Mark Bell podcast. Uh, he doesn't himself do jujitsu he's going to soon but uh in sima yin yang if you ever watched yeah. anything about him he's big into jujitsu he's been doing it for several years he talks about it all the time he does a lot more like loaded movements that put him in a weird position like he would be getting in if he was in like a if someone got him in some sort of hold or something yeah. like a, just weird spots to strengthen his muscles there so that he was telling a story, and I can't remember the specifics, but he basically said because he trained this, when someone put him in a position that would normally cause somebody to tap, he felt comfortable. And he was just like, I can just sit here and wait this out until I find a way to get him get, yeah, or get out of it. Yeah. So if, you're, if you are doing jiu-jitsu, that is definitely a goal is flexibility and strength in awkward positions. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. You know, like, that just proves the point that there's a time and place for everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um the touch and go deadlift's not necessarily a it's, it's not, not necessarily a bad thing all the time. No, it's not it's, wrong. It just has a place. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I'm just being honest with you, if you're six weeks out, that's probably not the place. It is definitely not the no. place if you're six weeks out. So um so we kind of went off on a tangent there. We did. But uh so we were t- I I was trying to talk about breathing and bracing. I don't know if we ever even Yeah, so I mean we, we touched <laughs> on that on, on squats and squats and bench a little bit, yeah. like the 360 breathing, breathing to your, breathing to your junk. Yeah. Because I got roasted for 
Understand sand balls. balls. Yeah. Somebody's like, I ain't got balls. Well, <laughs> breathe, breathe into your junk. Yeah. Um, it's the same process. You know, you want to expand as much of your abdomen as possible. 360 degrees up and down, like we talked about mm -hmm. that. That's where the breathing to your balls come in, into play. Yeah. Um, junk. Breathing to your junk <laughs> come into play. I got you. But, okay. uh, you know, that, that very much is, you know, I'll be honest with you, because I breathe at the top, there is some probably energy leak there. Yeah. It's probably not ideal to breathe at the top, but. But if that's no. where you're most comfortable. You know, I'm thinking about putting as much pressure in my, I know it sounds, into my balls and into my belt as I possibly can. Yeah. Like, I want to expand as much pressure as I can. I can hold my breath for that long. It's not a problem. I typically breathe out about about my knee anyway. So, mm -hmm. like, I'm not losing a whole lot of oxygen. I'm not losing, you know, I'm not right. holding my breath for a really long time. Um, but, I mean, that's, you know, it's the same principle that applied to both other lists. Yeah. You know? But but we do have to touch on it because it is Yeah, important. I mean, it's important. Like, yeah, like I said. keeps you stable. It keeps you from uh, – Energy leak. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. At the top of your brace, you should feel like that belt's going to snap you in half. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be that that tight, just clipped and walking around in it. Right. But when you're actually braced appropriately, it should feel like that thing's going to snap you in half. Yeah. It should definitely uh, be in contact, and you should feel it. You know, it should be noticeably. Yeah, there, there's an art to belt tightness, but my my preference is you should be able to put two fingers in it with it clasp. Yeah. Um, because we want to, we want that that much room we need to be able to expand into. Mm -hmm. So. Um, which I mean, that still sounds pretty, that's still pretty tight if you think about yeah. it, but like, it's not like that breaking in half tight that I can talk about when you are fully braced and yeah. getting ready for a lift. So there are some people that do that, especially newer people. Mine is tighter than that right now, but I'm just being stubborn because I don't want to buy a new belt before Saturday. So yeah, I, don't, I don't feel like unscrewing my belt and changing the, well, you know, I'm about to go through this so. rapid weight loss too. Like I'm yeah. going to be in this size belt. Like I'm really going to buy a new belt for one day. Right. Yeah. Fuck no. <laughs> So we got our big breath embrace. Uh, so some people will roll the bar the bar to their shins. Some people will push their shins to the bar. Um, I I am more of a push my shins into the bar puller. Um, I feel like that is more optimal. But realistically, as long as you do everything correctly, as you start the lift, the bar placement is going to be in the same spot. The only reason why people will like to push their shins into the bar as opposed to bringing it to them is that it's less likely to move, yeah, uh, move out of place. So, uh, um, I have one really good deadlifter that does the Eddie Hall rollout, mm -hmm. and I know the rationale there is because that that physical rolling out of the bar and roll it back in helps them set their lats. Mm -hmm. Um, she gets away with it because she is so fucking excellent. Mm -hmm. But I really, really hate that, and absolutely, I'm pretty adamant about coaching against that yeah. for the most part. Um, just in my experience, the longer you're at the bottom of that deadlift, the worse mm -hmm. things tend to get. Like I do not want to hold position for longer than I have to. Yeah. It's hard on your hips and hamstrings to hold that position. Um, so I've never been a fan of the rollout and bring yeah. it to me. You know, I mean, you see that dramatic thing all the time. And most of the time, and with this particular athlete of mine, it is a uh, super heavyweight female. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the time is is that demographic, both male and women, you know, yeah. larger athletes. Um, but it's never benefited me. And, I, and just my experience, like, she's an outlier being able mm -hmm. to do that, to be honest. I just don't think it's good to hold that bottom position for that right. long, especially when the whole idea is to, 
to come up with that barbell. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I don't want to, uh, you know, if you start bad, you can end bad. You know, mm-hmm. you want a good start. And that's just, she's exceptional. And that's the reason why that gets a pass from me. But yeah. um, just is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's fair though. But um, Eddie Hall had, you know, the first, I mean, he would, you kilo know, pull and he rolled it out and rolled it back in. So arguably still the best deadlifter on the planet, to yeah. be honest. I mean, so, I mean, sorry, Thor. Well, well, I don't know, man. Uh, old Danny Grigsby's getting up there. I mean, he is. He, yeah, he, he might is. pull 500 kilos. Yeah, I know. But, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking conventional pull. I mean, yeah. I am. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I wouldn't doubt it if he did that at all. Yeah. You know, I can I can see it in yeah, the next couple of years if, if everything keeps going. Give me sooner. Time. I mean, he's, what, 1075 in competition? Yeah. So. But you got to think when you're at that point, like, you're fighting for every pound. So, oh, who yeah, knows how long it's going to take him to get past that or. I mean, it could take well, a time. Yeah, the, the crazy thing, I mean, he could be good to, do, good to do it next week. And he yeah. could, could be five more years. Could be never. Yeah. You, know, you don't know. You I mean, just never know with that. Especially really when you get to that level, it's just like. You know, specifically talking about setting lats, um, I've never been particularly good at it. But we talked about this cue with bench press, but I think it's true of deadlift too. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's ever really helped me, and like I'm built like Quasimodo, so I have a hard time connecting to that part of my back in the deadlift. But the bend the bar cue is a much better deadlift cue in my mind than it is a mm-hmm. bench press cue. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I still, and it's it's basically the same idea, uh, protecting your armpits. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's all about engaging your lats. And that one, to me, makes more sense. Um, it just, like I said, personally, it connects with me more. Uh, just because thinking about bending the bar, it's like, it's steel. I'm not going to bend this bar. Yeah. Like, And it always... And whenever I do it, I feel it in my hands and in my forearms, but I don't feel it on my lats. Now, when I think about protecting my armpits, I feel it only in my lats. Yeah. So for me, that one always connected better. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, like, it's all all depends on the person, right? Yeah. That's the truth. So whatever um, clicks in your head, but the the goal is lat type. You and I both have strong backs. I don't know about you, but the only time deadlifts really affect my lats much anyway is if I'm in like really high volume. It's going to typically eight to twelve reps before I feel my lats and I deadlift. I don't. I don't think I ever feel my lats like actively getting sore after a deadlift. Uh, act, in terms of actively getting sore, the only ones I feel it in, ironically, is an RDL. Yeah. Uh, but I'm really, really fighting hard for posture. Yeah. Um, more than even than I would fight hard for posture in a, in a deadlift on the floor. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of volume for me to really be able to feel it there. Yeah. You know, so. So it's 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 a it's a cue that's really small, but it's really important. Like it's not it going to be something that you and it, it does directly affect your posture. Yeah, and that that's what's important because if you round your back, your it, energy leak. Obviously, you're putting torque on your lower back. You don't want to, you know. I mean, you're higher risk of injury stuff like that. I mean, all that shit applies, and that's the truth. Um, um, but like I said, I mean, just as competitive lifters, the biggest problem is the energy leak. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you know, I think we, we both know now that if you're in this long enough, you're going to get bit. Yeah. And that's not to say do things wrong and don't worry about it and just get bit anyway. But, like, I mean, our goals are performance-oriented goals. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean. But sometimes sometimes you're going to round your back and someone's going to say spine day. And you're going to be like, well, can you lift this, m- this much weight? And they're going to say no. And then you're like, okay. Well, use a bitch then. That's one of those things we talked about it before. But those those type of comments never come from above; mm-hmm. they only ever come from below. Anyone anyone who's attacking you, honestly, just has a small personality in general. 
Like someone who's better than you is probably going to be like, hey, that was a good lift. But, you know, you rounded your back a little bit. You can do X, Y, and Z to get better. So look for those comments. Don't look for those fine day comments. Those people are probably 120 pounds and can't lift. Sub problems. Sub problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pro- yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll- <laughs> there, it's, that's, that, that's that kid with the broccoli hair in the corner of the gym like, Mad as fuck because like you know we rep twenty two twenty five for you know such a thirty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same demographic of fucking people. And, like, they, and they're struggling to get their fuck. their one rep. People worried half as much about themselves as they do about other people. They could get a lot better at the sport a lot fucking faster. Yep, very I mean, true. Fucking stay in your lane. <laughs> so uh, we we already touched on this uh, because you start your your slack pull at the. At the top. Before I set my hips. Before I sit down. Yeah. Now, me, when I get, uh, when I pull out the slack, I'm already down. I'm basically in the position to pull. Um, and then I will pull the slack out of the bar. So I've already, like, and I wrote this down, like, in the way that I would walk up to a deadlift. So that's why I'm going in this order. Um, but I'm already down. I've got my my shins against the bar. I've got my lat set. And then I'm going to gonna get that slack pull. And... It's really hard uh, to to do that on a on a straight bar, um, on a stiff bar. Stiff yeah, bar. yeah. It's it's just. Uh, I'll be honest with you. That's the reason why that cue that Ron cueing it at the top instead of in the middle has been so powerful for me because uh, it really still feels effective on a stiff bar. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it still feels like it's going somewhere. You mm. know what I mean. So, um, and you can still. I don't know. I feel like. You hear people all the time talk about, and I know that our listeners maybe have haven't said, heard this, but. Um, you know, we're to the point that we're around other top level intermediates or advanced, super advanced lifters now, mm-hmm. like when we're communicating with them. Um, but you've heard it said, uh, wedge yourself under the bar. Mm-hmm. That, that getting cued at the top where Ron started cueing me and now where I cue my athletes, like really helped me like en- envision that because the slack pulls there. And then when I drop my hips, that's me physically wedging that makes under sense. the bar. Yeah. Does that make sense? And it, and that's exactly what it feels like, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I can't really say, you know, all these cues, like the way you verbalize them to somebody, like clicks different for mm-hmm. different people. We've talked about that. But they're really just, for me, isn't a better way to put that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. If you're going to drive you. home the wedge under the bar cue, yeah. like, you know, that makes sense because they're slack out of it now. And now you're basically shoving yourself in position. Mm-hmm. And it's super fucking tight. And honestly, it feels like a safer pull. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with where you pull slack, mm-hmm. but you know, that's just the way I'm. You know, no, I mean, he's got me programmed that way now, but you know, that's been more effective on a stiff bar because I mean, I feel like that's it's a, it's a little bit more of a violent slack pull. I can't lie yeah. to you, you know what I mean? So, no, I, and I, I think that's that's something worth looking into personally. I think I might actually try that next time I deadlift. I mean, it's, I'm not going to lie to you. The first, like anything, the first time you do it, it's fucking weird. Yeah. You, you won't like it the first time you do it, you know? Yeah, definitely um, not be something I'm doing with my top sets, but like warming up, I may give it a try and see how it feels, see if I, if I like the way. And the biggest check for that is, you know, it's, it's an awesome, it's an awesome Blair cue before it was a Ron cue for me, but if the bar's hovering before you pull it, you know, when you hit your one plate, two plate, three plates, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing it right. Yeah. If the bar is already off the ground before you set your hips, well, that's you know what the deadlift right. bar is, just to remind people. Well, that's been with the stiff bar too. That's, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I can get it. Too. Like I said, I can get it to float with a with four hundred five on the stiff bar. Now. Okay. So, like, that's fair. If you can get that, you know, think about it on a, on a bendy bar. It's less likely to float because it's going to stay on the ground more than that, likely. You're going to pull more slack out of the middle of the bar. Yeah. But uh, 
But yeah, I mean that's been that's been true of that. But I mean it's been I can't wait to get on the bendy bar now because I feel like the half the pool is going to be done before I ever have to pull it. To be honest <laughs> yeah. with you, like so maybe it'll translate that way. That's I, I guess that's the hope, right? Yep. What do you got next? Uh, so we got the slack pulled out. So now you're going to push the floor away from you. Yeah, absolutely. Back to the feet. Yeah. So, um, boy, this is this one such is a heavily mis- misinterpreted thing. Because us as powerlifters refer to the deadlift constantly as a pull. Like, you ask each other, like, what do you pull? What do you do this? Yep. Pull, 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 pull. That's the way we refer to it. But it's not a pull. Yep. <laughs> like, it is, I mean, and, and the most effective way to put it, I mean, is it's basically a standing leg press. Yeah. Especially if you're a sumo puller. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in a more squat-oriented stance. Yeah. Um, we talked about a vertical torso and stuff. Like, But even as a conventional puller, man, just, just visualizing – Doing the work with my legs mm-hmm. just changed changed immediately how much how strong I could be in the deadlift. Like it's completely reframed my mind. Um, you know, I think about my back to finish, but when mm-hmm. I actually start pulling, like I'm thinking, just like I am with a squat, I'm driving hard through my legs. When it gets about past my knee, I'm thinking about getting my hips under it and maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more back oriented. But right. like that initial start, like I'm pushing, I ain't pulling. You know what I mean? So. This is what it is. Yeah. But. For me, it's it's a little bit of both. So I'm I'm trying to think of pushing the floor away and pulling up at the same time. I feel like that gets the quickest movement. Um, yeah. So which is, I'm thinking about push and back, if that makes sense. So like I'm thinking about act, I'm act, actively thinking about after I've started my push, I'm actively thinking about getting lean back. If yeah. That makes sense. And now you have to be careful with that as a, that cue as a power lifter because we're not allowed to break in our knees. Mm-hmm. Like once your you know once your knees are locked they have to stay locked otherwise you know it's a hitch you know you can't yep. do a strong man style deadlift so like you have to really be careful with that but I'm thinking about actively driving from my basically I'm thinking about pushing with my feet and getting my back back mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah um, I'm trying as hard as I can basically to get into a vertical position so yeah. uh, like I said when it gets past my knee I'm thinking about actively squeezing my butt mm-hmm. so you know there's probably a lot of ways to interpret this one there's a Deadlift is remarkably complicated and remarkably simple all at mm-hmm. once. You hear yes. everyone say, just stand up, right? Which you isn't just... a terrible cue, but I mean, there's, it's not a very nuanced thing to say, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just like. When you think about like standing up from like a, a squatted position, that's essentially what you're doing, right? But, yeah. but when it's under load, it just becomes something different. Getting your butt squeezed, man. I mean, that's. Biggest piece of advice I have for you on deadlift, you want to lock out a deadlift fast. When that thing passes your knees, you got to get your butt squeezed. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about something, too, when you're able to unlock that ability that takes a tremendous amount of pressure out of your back. Yeah. Like when you're at, and I suggest wholeheartedly doing block pulls or rack pulls to people that don't have good access to their butt in the deadlift because, mm-hmm. like, um, boy, it changes everything. RDL is another great thing to do if yeah. you don't have access to – you know, the top head of your hamstring or uh, or your butt, if you have a trouble visualizing and accessing that muscle group, RDLs is a really good way to help that lockout. Um, but absolutely, you know, pure deadlift load, you know, definitely doing rack pulls. Mm-hmm. Um, and a pretty high rack, like knee height. Like, right. You know, I think that we've kind of gotten, It's I think it's a little bit trendy to say that rack pulls aren't beneficial right now. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants like a low block pull, you know, like off of a plate or two, but like, Man, rack pulls have made me better at deadlifts, but that's, you know, that's my weakness. You know what I mean? Like, 
past my day. You know what right? I mean? Like, absolutely. Yep. And it's not terribly uncommon. You know, I address this with Ron. I can pull nearly a hundred pounds heavier from a deficit than I can from the rack. Mm-hmm. And obviously still much heavier from the floor than I can from a deficit. But like, you know, I think the most I've ever rack pulled is like maybe five plates, maybe like mm-hmm. 495 or so. Like, so that's at least a 70 pound swing that we know of 75 right. pound swing that we know of. So like, and train your weakness like there's definitely some value in, in rack pulls but getting that butt under you super fucking important and also i will say this too when people do rack pulls they have a bad habit of like shoving their knees forward and like having a super vertical chest that's not the position you're in right. when you're in a deadlift when you're in a real deadlift your shoulders should be in front of the bar mm-hmm. if you're at your knees on a real deadlift your shoulders in front of the bar and your knees are almost locked at that point right so you should be working a very like chest forward of the bar position, like my hips are still far back, like actual lockout. You shouldn't just be standing behind the bar and just like pumping it up, right. if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like at that point, you probably have very little knee bend left at that point of your deadlift. So if mm-hmm. you're doing rack pulls, you need to make sure you're getting over the bar enough to re- actually repu- replicate that position and that would happen in a real deadlift because yeah. you shouldn't be behind the bar. At that point, you're deadlift. Right. If you are, you're a strong man and you're getting red lights in a, in a powerlifting meet. There's nothing wrong with that <laughs> if that's your sport. But, like, just pertinent to what we're doing, like, more than likely, like, you, if you're really in that position in a real deadlift, your shoulders should be forward to the bar. Yeah. So, in rant. In rant. <laughs> so, so, we're pushing the floor away from us. At that point, um, where a lot of people have some issues is that they let the bar come in front of them. So a good cue is to pull the bar into you lat that way. Yeah, yeah, that light tightness stays in. If you're pulling the bar into you, it's going to stay on its path as sure. opposed to coming out in front of you, which is going to cause back rounding. It's going to obviously that's going to. It's be a energy. huge energy leak, and it's, mm-hmm. it's really the deadlift's really only dangerous yeah. when it starts getting away from you. Yeah, and then that's a if it, outside of that, if it's heavy enough weight that you can't pull it, you're probably just going to drop it. Yeah. But when you start, when if you're strong enough to pull a weight and that bar starts getting away from you, that's a much more dangerous position than something to just be doing too, just being too heavy for you. Yeah, uh, deadlift's just not going to go if it's too heavy for you. Yeah, if you have really bad technique and it helicopters out or the bar comes off your thigh or something like that, you're putting yourself in a very dangerous mm-hmm. position. Um, but the way I cue that is really simple, and that's shave your legs with a bar. Yeah, yeah. So the bar should never leave your legs. Once you're, you know, I have to set up, we talked about this in the setup, I set up off the bar, so my shins don't t- ever touch the bar until I am, my slack is pulled and I am, my hips are set. Mm. That's the first time my shins touch the bar. From that point on, the bar should never leave your legs. Yeah. It should stay against your legs all the way up. And if you have a problem with it sticking, you know, you can baby powder your legs, that's, le- that's legal in competition and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but uh, the shortest distance is always a straight line. Mm-hmm. So the straightest line you're going to be able to pull a deadlift is if your body is basically guiding it. So right. keep that in mind. Yeah. And just don't let it sit on your quads. Yeah, you know, don't <laughs> sit down there. But again, that's one of those things like if you're doing a proper power lifting deadlift, like after it's past your knees, your knees should just about be locked anyway. Yeah. There should be very little slack in your knees at that point. So there shouldn't be a lot of threat of that. You know, if you're if you're a strong man, you know, you probably have your own ways to cue that out. Um but, you know, you shouldn't be, you know, in powerlifting, we can't hitch and we can't mm-hmm. ramp and we can't support the weight with our own body. So, yeah. like, like I said, you know, if you're a real powerlifting position, then, you know, your knees are nearly locked by the time it gets to right. that point anyway. 
So, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking. Yeah. I'm just thinking about ranting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, like you know, any powerlifting coach worth their salt. And like I said, I know the sport of the sport of strongman is much different, and we really are big fans of it. So I'm not mm-hmm. shitting on strongman. Um, but in the sport of powerlifting, if you have a coach worth their, you know, worth their salt, they're definitely probably teaching you a shoulders over the bar position up mm-hmm. until that point. Right? Yeah. Like I said, you should knees should nearly be locked at that point. Yeah. Not locked, but nearly. You know, right. what I mean? should relatively straight leg by the time it gets. Well, you're talking about sitting on your thighs, so you're talking about you know, two or three inches above your knee, probably. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, you should be. It's just about over with at that. Point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't don't set it goes. down. Just pull it through. Yeah, pull which, through. Yep. Which uh, pretty much brings us to the the next point. Actually, is to push your hips forward. Yeah. So once you've got it above your knees, that's typically when you want to start. You know. Push your hips or flex your sweat your uh, butt. Flex yeah. your quads is another yeah. great flex your butt and flex your quads. Both great cues for that. Yeah. Important note: you must flex your quads at the top of the deadlift because you will get red lighted if for you soft don't. Knees. For soft yeah. knees. Yep, I got that at SPF World Championships. Uh, that was my second deadlift. I was very confused as to why I didn't get the lift, and then I looked my my side judge who was Dustin Green, and he said, oh, you just didn't flex your quads. Flex your quads and you'll be fine. And I said, oh, okay. And then yeah. the next... next, Yeah, you smoked it. I mean, yeah. it wasn't an issue of strength. It was just a technical yeah. thing. Yeah, flex your quads. I mean, that's um, that's one of those things you might get lucky on depending on how they're calling it that day. Mm-hmm. That's pretty... That's kind, of, that's kind of almost not... It seems like it's a game-time decision for them most of the time. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, they cut heads off at that SPF meet for that. The Gary Brewer USPA meet in Birmingham, the Iron City one. Well, I actually think that was Charlie's meet. I'm sorry. Charlie's meet down there. Um, they chopped heads off for soft knees. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, flex your quads at the top. One, it really does help with the lockout. Uh, it's going to assist your butt and glutes and getting your hips forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, it's a solid cue. Yeah. yeah. Flex your quads. Uh, and then <clears throat> last one is strictly competition-based, but don't drop the bar. Yeah, you know, this is what I struggle with too, especially when I get excited. And I'm not like, I'm not like a crossfitter and dropping the bar at the top, but I'm bad about like when I've pulled something big, like I'm setting it down. And once it hits mid shin, I'm like walking away from it already. Like, um, if something bites me on deadlift next weekend, that'll be it. We'll just have to, we'll just have to remind you of that every, every deadlift. Don't drop the bar. Guide it down. That's, that's the important thing is guiding it down. And then, uh, then letting go. If you, as long as your hands are in contact with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that is the important part. So, I mean, I had to. I mean, I, I had to no rep myself. Friday, Sandy called commands for me on on deadlifts, and mm-hmm. you and a combination of you and her called them for me on on squat and bench the next day. But um, had to fucking do a deadlift over again because it was even a lot deadlift, but I smoked it and I was like, you know, half celebrating already and dropped it in my fucking shins. Yeah, you know, so. Don't fucking do that. <laughs> you know? wonder, I wonder if there's something you can do. Maybe like write something on your hand. <laughs> don't drop, don't the drop, bar. don't drop the bar. Might just get don't drop tattooed across my fucking. <laughs> you could. It would be it's four letters each. Yeah. Get them across. You wouldn't have anything on your thumbs though. But you could do it across your. <laughs> so I think we successfully taught people how to deadlift. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, keep in mind, again, the mo- some of these things are different in sumo, but really, I mean, once it passes your knee, it's, it's really not. Yeah. Right? The only thing different in the sumo is really going to be your that chest position, position and foot position. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really the same lift. It's still just a hip hinge. Um, 
you still should be treating it like a leg press. I would say especially so in, in a sumo. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's a great cue for conventional. We talked about it. That's the way we perceive it. I mean, um, we talk, touched on this last time, you know, when we were talking about elbow depth and shit on uh, getting judged or whatever now in the in the IPF. But, um, you know, we give sumo lifters shit, but, like, we've never been offended by a sumo lifter doing good. or no. I mean, it's not, you know, it's just kind of just something you buy into as a power lifter. Like, I really don't give a fuck. Like, we reference sumo lifters all the time, especially Dan Grigsby, Good ones, Brown, yeah, absolutely. like the, the elite. You know, <clears throat> I every time I see Dan Grigsby pull something crazy sumo, I'm like, my That's hot, awesome. my hot take on the on on sumo is this, and my clients have heard me say this. I really do think that nine out of ten people pull better conventional, mm-hmm. and I do think it's trendy to pull sumo. Right? I think that's fair. That being said, the people that it benefits, it benefits significantly. Right. Um, and it's all leverage. Um, but listen, like your first meet is a good example of this. You know, I bombed out because of injury, but um, if I don't bomb out, I probably I probably win that meet. Um, we had you know half a dozen sumo dudes or whatever, pretty respectable pulls. They wasn't super. They're by no means the heaviest deadlifts I've ever seen. But like, honestly, if they pulled conventional, they would have went just like fizzled <laughs> out at like their shin. Like, yeah. It's like again and again and again and again. And I think we had one kid like go one for three or 0 for three or something Mm -hmm. on deadlifts. Like I do remember someone going over. You're strong. Like, are you just doing this because this is the cool thing to do now? And I remember Jesse Rogers saying, Mm -hmm. who's a West Side guy. Right. Who's a conjugate dude, believes (laughs) in sumo deadlifting, leans over to me because I'm coaching at this point. I'm already out because of injury. He leans over to me and he says, sumo is a trend and is going to die. And most of these kids don't know, either don't know how to use it or just aren't the body type that are going to benefit from it. Right. And I know that that's a dying organization you can say you want to, but that's a man that's seen an awful lot of powerlifting. And uh, I can't say that I'm wrong with him, man. I really believe that nine out of 10 of us pull better conventional. Um, And I can say this. Those freaks that do benefit from it, obviously benefit from it. But uh, I will say this too. I mean, with the exception of somebody like Derek Thistlewaite, and I do think Dan's squat's coming on for mm-hmm. sure. Most of those guys have a pretty big, there's a pretty big dis- dis- discrepancy in their deadlift in there. And their, their squat. Yeah. yeah. You look at a super heavyweight puller like Dan Bell, who pulls conventional, has the biggest squat in the world. His numbers are a lot tighter. Yeah. Like he has a much, deadlift's much more comparable to his squat than vice versa right. you know and anytime you get super heavyweight professionals obviously they squat more than a deadlift but mm-hmm. um you know i do think i do think that's worth noting you know what i mean yeah. like the people that sumo benefits definitely benefits like greatly but like you know i don't know i kind of think the proof's in the pudding i don't necessarily think that everybody needs to be pulling that way yeah there's definitely a trend for not so local coaches not my own coach but there's definitely seems to be a local-ish trend of if you're a woman, you're pulling sumo, mm-hmm. which I think's kind of disparaging. Yeah, a little sexist and pretty fucking stupid. I, th- but, I, think, <laughs> I think if but, your leverages are good for sumo, you like sumo, then pull sumo. Yeah, I feel like I feel like if your leverages are truly better for sumo, absolutely pull sumo. If you have an injury history that makes sumo more accessible for you, mm-hmm. then you should pull sumo. Outside of that, man, I mean, those are the two exceptions. I really do believe that the majority of us pull better conventional. Yeah. And that's always a lot of experience as a coach and coaching both. And I have, you know, uh, one girl that's a very, very good uh, sumo puller. Um, I'm really proud of, and she gets a lot of shit for 
she gets a lot of shit from me. <laughs> teasing, you know, just teasing. Yeah. Like, I don't really mean it uh, for pulling that way. Um, you know, I've had I've had girls even with injury that, you know, we've talked about moving over and that just didn't help or benefit at all. Like, yeah. I mean, like somebody that, you know, majority, yeah, the majority of my clients are powerlifting clients, but I have a lot of general fitness clients too. And it's very rare for even a general fitness client to pull better sumo. Yeah. Like I'm telling you, it's a lot more rare if you're actually paying attention to leverages for somebody to actually be built and be built for a good sumo deadlift than it is a conventional deadlift. And it's also just a very technical lift. So a lot of, it is. A lot a, of people who just are just starting, like all these kids that are coming in like, oh, well, this guy pulled sumo and he pulls 1,000 pounds. I'm going to pull sumo. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, right? absolutely. They, can, they don't get in correct positioning. They yeah, that's another good point. I mean, both of them can be really good accessory work for the other. Like if yeah. you're a conventional puller, like there's some benefits, especially in uh, adductor and glute strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can gain a lot from pulling sumo. Um, you can gain a lot as a sumo puller by pulling conventional. Mm-hmm. Done it, been there. Like mm-hmm. you know, made clients do that. Like there's there's absolutely reasons for both. I'm just telling you that in, in general, I really and this is this is my hot take, but it appears in my work history, um, it does appear that the majority of us, whether you like it or not, pull better conventional. Yeah, there's always exceptions to every rule. Sure. I'm not even saying it's a rule, but right. my speculation is that majority of us can do better that way. And I practiced some sumo for a little while, and uh, I could definitely tell it was a much different lift. It hit my uh, glutes and my hamstrings. It wears my knees out. Uh, never had a knee issue. Never, never knees my, knees, my knees, but it was always like my glutes and my hamstrings were just always on fire every time I was trying to pull sumo, which I mean is good because... Like we talked about very early on in the podcast today, I got I have apparently a, a glute weakness. Um, so you know it was it was good for the time, and I knew it was helping me uh, with pushing from the floor. So there was a lot of benefit to me just trying it and getting some carry over to my conventional. Yeah, I will say it was definitely an accessory lift because I could only lift about half the weight that yeah. I could on a conventional pull. Right. Not to say that if I practice it for a long period of time, I might not get better, but uh, I could never really get myself into a very vertical, upright position, uh, no matter how I tried to, uh, no matter how far my foot width was, everything just felt really uncomfortable the whole time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah, I think about somebody that like Austin, who is a switch hitter, and pull mm-hmm. people is just as much one way or the other. I mean, he really has all the leverages for sumo because I mean, the size of his legs are. You know, he's a born squatter, so you think sumo would be the, the natural thing for him. But I mean, even still, it, it doesn't edge it out by much. But he's still a better, still a better conventional puller. Yeah. Like I mean, it's. And he said <laughs> that before I, he he pulled sumo. It was because of what was it? It was because of his, was it because of his lower back. Was he like having stress on his lower back? Because I remember he switched. Yeah, you know he's kind of a hypochondriac, so yeah, that may have been very. He may have been sore and been like, I have had, back pain. He had some good pulls, sumo. I can't yeah. lie. I mean, like I said, he's only marginally better conventional, but he is better conventional. Yeah. Um. I, I hate I hate that people say that it's a more technical lift, sumo. I know that it really is, but. There is there, a there's lot. this like growing smugness in the sumo community that like somehow it's like. Superior. Yeah. I mean, superior. listen, if it was really the superior way to pull it, and honest to God, I mean this, if it was really the superior way to pull a lot of weight, they would do it in strongman. That's true. 
Because, I mean, listen, they do, you know, I know that there's set rules against it and stuff currently, but if they really thought that they could be, you know, a 1,200-pound puller, they, I mean, they break records for everything. They can mm-hmm. break 18-inch deadlifts. You got, you know, fucking um, uh, silver dollar deadlifts, you know, that's like a 24-inch pull, mm-hmm. like a Hummer tire deadlifts. Like, they're doing all these deadlift variations already. If we thought it was the best way, they'd be doing it competitively. Right. And they're not. I mean, now those men aren't don't necessarily have the leverages for that. Right. But like at the same time, like I, I just think you know that, that the proof's kind of in that too. I think that if somebody thought that they could go pull fifteen hundred pounds sumo, that we'd have a strong man doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, not say that they paved the way or break, or set all the rules for us as powerlifters because they don't. But like, I just feel like it would you would see that that lifting that style of lifting more in other in other strength sports. Yeah. That's um, another good example of that, I mean, it's not even illegal in this sport. And I actually have seen a video of somebody doing it, but uh, a sumo starting position on a clean, hmm. you don't see that. Yeah. I mean, somebody put ATG, uh, the Astagrass weightlifting page on Instagram posted one guy that starts with a narrow grip and is clean. That's the only person I've ever seen in the world. Was that impressive? Do that. I mean, it was impressive, but it was, again, it was solely to take advantage of his leverages and mm-hmm. just, hey, happen to be more mobile that way and, you know, do a little better that way. But, like, but you know, like, I, I feel like you would. compared to other planes. No, I mean, no, he's, I mean, he, don't get me wrong. I think he, he does represent a country in the Olympics, but, like, and compared to the rest of the Olympic field, he's a very average lifter. Okay. That, that's so that like you know he's not he's not wearing he's not winning gold right like, he's not going to go beat like Lasha or somebody like that you know yeah. what I mean like that's not going to fucking happen like so I mean I just feel like that you would see it translated to other sports more often than you do yeah uh, the best tra- sport it translates to honestly is fucking CrossFit yeah see. sumo deadlift high pulls happens in CrossFit all the time that's basically a sumo deadlift starting position and then an upright row to mm-hmm. your chin uh, they they use those quite a bit. Um, Kettlebell swings, you know, it's yeah. beneficial to a kettlebell swing. Um, they do a lot of things in general uh, with a kettlebell and CrossFit. Um, but, I mean, even still, you, you have, you know, elite athletes, whether I like it or not, using that term. You have elite athletes in that sport, and no, none of them are fucking doing it, and it's perfectly legal in that sport. Right. Of course, you're talking about, you know, if you get a deadlift ladder in a CrossFit community, like, the top lift's 600 pounds, maybe. Right. Like, that's – and – Honestly, probably a uh, that's a intermediate powerlift and deadlift. Yeah. It's not a very strong deadlift. No. But I mean, that's like top tier, you know, in that community. So, like, but even still, like, you would see them, if they thought that there was an advantage, why don't, why don't you see it happen? Like, yeah. But you don't. Like, I don't know why it's all of a sudden just, like, fad. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, will, I will hold to my statement. I think that the actual demographic of people that actually have a direct benefit of pulling sumo is a very small, elite and rare community, to be yeah. honest with you. Well, I mean... Everybody else is kind of pretending, to be honest. We, we, re- we <laughs> really mean, only see a handful of sumo pullers that are, like, like way above the rest, right? And, you know, to be fair, they are they are handling weight that is so significant that, I mean, it's hard not to take notice of them. The first person I remember doing it is Kayla Woolham's the first mm-hmm. guy I saw pull a 1,000-pound sumo. Incredible. Has, mm-hmm. like, a 600-pound squat. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with a 600-pound squat. It's great. Right. Um, but, but in like comparison, in comparison, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, at least when you're talking about like Jamal and Dan Grigsby, at least they, you know, yeah. they're squatters. Yeah, you know, they're might not, you know, they might not be squatters like they're deadlifters, but I mean, they're you know, they, yeah. they you know, they have really, really big squats. Um, Derek Thistlewhite, 
you know, squats happens to squat more than deadlifts than a sumo puller, and that's that's really fucking cool. Yeah. But like, you know, yeah, like I said, we can name half a dozen dudes doing that, and then how many guys can you name that pull conventional that do the same thing, right, or close to it? You know what I mean? So I don't know. I mean, that turned turn into a shit on sumo episode, and I'm really not because, like <laughs> I said, I'm not I'm not offended by somebody that goes out and does it well. I just think that the demographic of people that actually benefit from it is much smaller than the amount of people that actually that do I, it. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, I, uh, I I feel like I'm on the same boat. Like, I've never been actively offended. I'll I'll pick at some people for pulling sumo. Like, yeah, friends. Like, you're yeah. not going to a stranger and being like, "Fuck you, sumo puller." Yeah, and nobody no. does that. Like, we don't. People, I don't do, live people do it on Instagram. Yeah, they Instagram do is a toxic place. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Let's be honest. But but like, I'm not doing. It. I'm, I've never been offended by a sumo puller. Yeah, no. Like, if if a, someone went out there. It, it, if by chance, you know, at my last meet, somebody went out there and sumo pulled more than me, I would just been like, cool. You know? Do better next time. Yeah. I'll be like, all right, well, I guess I know what I got to do next yeah. time. You know, like it's, it's not ever really been. Well, you know, to be, to be fair, we're a point in our deadlift, where our deadlifts though, if, if they are sumo and more than we're pulling conventional, they're probably part of that elite group who actually benefit directly from pulling sumo. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I mean, it's, powerlifting is a small community. We're only a, ever a couple of people removed from. I mean, I'm coached by a pro, like mm -hmm. so. We're we're not even we're not even one person removed from a professional, right? So like, <clears throat> you know, it's a super small community. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna get our ass drugged by sumo pullers sometimes. <laughs> we're also probably gonna get our ass drugged by other conventional pullers yeah. sometimes. I mean, it just we're just as likely, if not more likely, to go get our ass kicked by another conventional puller. Yeah. So, I mean, if it benefits you, I will. I tell people this all the time. As a coach, we do whatever we got to do to win. Yeah. If you're better sumo, by God, we're going to pull sumo. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you the likelihood of that actually being true is slim. Yeah. This and is that, what it is. That's fair. So. so we got anything else to comment on on the deadlift for today's episode? No. I mean, however you pull, pay attention to this episode. I mean, um, there is an art to deadlifting. It's not just brute force. I know mm -hmm. it feels good because it feels simpler in the moment than right. other lifts. But uh, but if, but if, it is it is nuanced and it is it does take a lot of practice. And uh, you know, the more you simplify it, the easier it is to get hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that that's my takeaway from all all my years. Like I can look back two or three years ago and look at a deadlift and I just cringe. I'm like, Oh God, that, yeah. how did my lower back survive that? You know, it was, it, it, some of them were pretty rough and it gradually got better. I've been fortunate that I had a strong enough low back to survive this yeah. long. Um, and it goes, it goes to say too, it's not that he's saying don't simplify the cues, right? No, just don't, but simplify you shouldn't lift as a whole. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't try to don't try to make it don't try to make the deadlift a remedial lift because it's the le least technical of the three. Don't. Like that's not that's that's not fair to you. Um, that's not first of all that's not respecting your sport or what you're about to do, and you're also not respecting the fact that more than likely that's the most weight you're going to lift in the gym, mm -hmm. and then it will absolutely bite the fuck out of you. Like, so you do need a you need a simple approach to the cues, but don't treat the lift like it's the fucking easiest thing you're going to do that week. It's a yeah. fucking mistake. It's arrogant is what that is. Now, the podcast um, is called Sip It and Rip It, but it's not called Get Drunk and Sloppy. And yeah, don't, break yeah. Your, yeah, don't, we're not, we're not condoning anybody snap their shit, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, you, you know, you, 
if you're in the sport, you know, he's going to advance past intermediate. I probably never will. Let's be honest. But, you know, if you have a respect for yourself and the sport and everything else, like it's a third of your sport, you need to treat it with some respect for that reason. But you also need to treat it with some respect because, I mean, what we do, while it's not just like the most dangerous thing in the world, it is inherently dangerous what we're doing. And uh, if you fuck up, you'll know about it. Yeah. You're going to find out eventually. Your luck will run out. And I'll say this too, especially when it comes to deadlift. Anytime I've been hurt by a deadlift has never been by big weight. It's always been by light weight that I didn't respect. Mm-hmm. So another <clears throat> another good thing to think about is your initial warm-up should look the same as your top set. Absolutely. Yeah, you so should go through the same processes. As you progress, it should be the same lift every single time. The more you get away from it, the more likely you are to get hurt. I've been more injured on a deadlift from weight ranging from 275 to 405 than I than I have with weight 400 to 600 pounds. I don't I don't know that I've ever actually been hurt by a heavy deadlift. Now, I, there's always been soreness. Like, there's no getting away from, you know, when, no. you, when you pick up something heavy, you're going to be sore the next day. It's just going to happen. But but as far as, like, lifting something heavy and something going terribly wrong and getting hurt, I've never heard. I, I will say this, too. Most most of my deadlift injuries have been wear and tear injuries, yeah. like a QL injury, a uh, spinal erector, or a lat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've had a glute injury or two probably like minor minor glute strains like enough to make me uncomfortable for about a week and go mm-hmm. away uh but any major back injury i've had on deadlift has been like accumulated but that comes from doing things wrong rep after rep after rep after rep and that's exactly the reason i say the 275 to 405 rep uh, the weight range for me that's reps I, that's weight that i can do from you know pretty much you know 15 to 20 reps across yeah. that whole spectrum so that's, like I said, it's an accumulated injury, but it's also me looking at the bar and saying, oh, that's just 350. Mm-hmm. I can do that for 10, and it'd be 10 sloppy as fuck reps, and then I'm spending the next week, you know, hobbling around, not squatting, mm-hmm. barely benching, not deadlifting. Like, it's fucking stupid. Don't do it. The, Treat it with some respect. The the one time I did get hurt, <clears throat> and I don't, act, I don't actively remember what actually, like, the lift that hurt it or anything, but I do remember... My lower back was in a lot of pain, and I uh, I waited about a month, and I was like, I didn't deadlift, I didn't do anything to agitate it. Finally, started feeling better. I went to deadlift something light, immediately hurt it again, and that's because I just wasn't deadlifting properly. So the my luck basically had run out at that point, and I yeah. did hurt myself, and I tried to deadlift again, and I hurt myself again because I didn't really know how to yeah. deadlift. One of the biggest points of this podcast, you know, other than sitting drinking beer and talking shit like we're trying to keep y'all out of harm's way Mm -hmm. like i've learned everything i've learned i've learned the hard way i'm just telling you that you need to take things you know take everything in fitness with a grain of salt i say that all the time so you need to take this shit pretty fucking seriously Mm -hmm. especially if you have it plans to go from novice to intermediate and then maybe even from immediate intermediate to advanced or pro Mm -hmm. like it's it will fucking bite you, and it's directly related to how much you respect what you're doing. And that consistency, treating 135 the same way you treat 605, mm-hmm. is so fucking important. And then I will, I'll even say, <clears throat> go far as to say this, you know, it may not look exactly the same. No, because heavier weight challenges you. Right. 
So you, and you know, rounding of the, of the thoracic spine is different from rounding of the lumbar spine. And I try to try to make that point all the time to people because they'll see people with a rounded thoracic and be like, Oh, that hurt my back just watching. It's like, well, no, you don't. I understand. live my life with a rounded T spine. Right. Like if I was going, if a rounded T spine was the worst thing that you could do in a deadlift, I would have been out of powerlifting a long time. Right. I mean, because I naturally, because of the kyphosis, I naturally have. I'm built like Quasimodo. I talk about that all the time. Mm. I have a hump in my back. That's not the worst thing in the world. If you're rounding your lower back, man, that's you know, that's that's when it gets. And another thing too, like a normal, a neutral range in your back is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're seeing a lot of movement in your back in general, regardless of where it's at, change in, uh, like obvious changes in posture, mm-hmm. that's actually the damaging information. Right. If you're seeing noticeable, a rounding lower back or mid back, like low to mid back, or if you're seeing your, your back posture actively change through the lift, my, my deadlift's ugly as shit, but you, what you don't see is you don't see me. You don't see my back change positions often mm-hmm. unless I'm fuck something up. Right. I mean, so, you know, there is a difference between T-spine and, and lumbar mobility and yeah. stuff like that. Like some of the best deadlifters in the world rounded upper backs. Yeah. Just this way. And, and for those people specifically, it's just an advantage for them because they've learned to start the lift that way. And it, it adds it, length to your arm. Right. So it decreases the uh, amount that you have to actually pull the bar up. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just just be safe. If something hurts, just stop. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's, a, that's a pretty, like, easy tell. Like, you start feeling something pulling in your lower back. It, it may just be soreness, or it may not. If you're, if you're a beginner, you probably don't know the difference. You might not, yeah. So just heed the warning. Yep. Be safe. And... Uh, Dad joke? Yeah. I guess <laughs> Be dad safe jokes. and dad joke. Be safe and, and listen to dad jokes. I don't know that I really have a dad joke, to be honest with you, right here. I saw so many good ones recently, and I have got to find them again because they were they were just the, be- the bee's knees, as a dad would say. Let's see. We don't need to hear that one. Oh, this one. <laughs> And you might be looking at it already. <laughs> this one, I, I wanted to say, this is the one that I saw. Okay, so uh, it was on the news recently that thieves stole 20 crates of Red Bull from the local supermarket. Mm-hmm. I don't know how these people can sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really don't either. I'm really, caffe- I'm really caffeine-sensitive, so. Right. Uh, do you know that trees poop? No. Yeah, they do. How else would you get number two pencils? <laughs> yeah. That's mine for the night. The only only sending one. Yeah, only sending one. It's about time for me to get out of here. Unfortunately, I feel you. Well, I'm, I want to do one more. Let's do it. Uh, mostly because it's pertinent to the podcast. Right. So yesterday, I read an article about the dangers of drinking too much. It scared the hell out of me. So today. I've decided to never read it again. <laughs> that's pretty much how that's pretty much how I feel about alcohol. Apparently, here I am having beer a week out from a meet, and I shouldn't. So, uh, it'll be okay. It'll have to be. It'll be all right. All right. Well, I got a four thirty a.m. wake up call tomorrow. To, I feel you. So I do not. It's time to go to bed. But uh, that's that's it for today. So uh, rate us five stars on Spotify. Like us on Instagram at Sip and Rip It at Nathan Skedios. Give us a follow. All that good stuff. Um, See you next week. Bye.